Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Welcome to the lift. Get ready to take a ride. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 3 of The Lift. I'm Daniel Foytek, and on behalf of everyone that helps create The Lift, we're glad you're along for a ride. Season 4 is going to be packed with new stories, exciting new characters, and a special overarching story this season that will play out across multiple episodes. And thanks to our supporters on Patreon, we're back to 20 episodes again this season. If you'd like to help us keep the lift in working order, you can support Victoria at patreon.com forward slash Victoria's Lift. A quick reminder that we do have a written anthology available on Amazon in print and Kindle. We're very proud of it, and it features stories not available anywhere else. Written by some of your favorite authors from the show. It also has beautiful illustrations and other great extras. Show your love for the show by getting one for yourself and maybe even introduce a friend to Victoria by getting a copy for them, too. To get the book on Amazon, head to victoriaslift.com forward slash read, or if you'd like a signed copy instead, email us at feedback at ninthstory.com. We do have a limited number of signed copies available, signed by me, Cynthia Lohman, Nelson W. Piles, and Jeanette Andromeda. Halloween is nearly here. We have a special episode recorded live at the Aurora Theater in Lawrenceville, Georgia, to share as Victoria's Halloween treat to you. Look for that in your feeds on Halloween. Today's tale is written by the very talented returning author, Meg Haftall. If you enjoy the story, and I know you will, why not follow her on Twitter and on Facebook? On Facebook, it's under the handle Megan Haftall Horror Author, and on Twitter, it's at Meg Haftall. And, of course, treat yourself to one of her books, including the first ever written anthology for the Wicked Library, as well as the Lift anthology I mentioned earlier. She's a fantastic writer, and we're lucky to have her. Today's main storyteller is the amazing Sarah Ruth Thomas, joined by Amber Collins as our girl Victoria, with a little help from Heather Thomas, Cynthia Lohman, Erica Sanderson, Jessica McAvoy, Nicole Goodnight, and me. Beautifully scored, as always, by the incomparable Nico Vitesse of We Talk of Dreams. Now, without further ado, let's loop in on Loretta and see if she can't find a dial tone this time around. I have lost so much. I am bound to this place. Charged with guiding those who must choose. Don't be afraid. I can never again be the little girl I was. Will you accept your fate? Or change it? I have my music box. And a library lost. But I sometimes feel very alone. Won't you join me? It's time for your ride on the lift. <laughs> Don't be afraid.
She woke from a broken dream, so sharp it seemed it would cut her. Her iPhone vibrated on the bedside table, causing the water in Matthew's glass to ripple. It was Ada. Coming out of the noxious fog of her nightmare, Loretta bent forward in the hard-backed chair and swiped to answer. She held the cold brick to her ear. Hello, Ada, dear? Hey, Mom. You're off the plane, then. (sighs) I need you to stop by the Greggs for... No, we're still on a layover in Dallas. Delayed. Ada interrupted. They're giving us the runaround. First something about the engine, then they moved us to another gate. Twice! Loretta felt a flutter in her chest, the stirrings of a truly bad day. Her back ached from the nap in the chair. Oh, Lord. How is he? Ada's tone went high and squeaky, as it always did when things got complicated. Loretta sighed. A peculiar sense of deja vu crept into the open corners of her mind. Oh... The hospice nurse, you know, uh... Daryl? Yes, yes, Daryl. He said your dad's looking awfully pale today. More than usual. He said I should stay close. Christ. Somewhere in the Dallas-Fort Worth airport, a loudspeaker squawked. We're going to get there as soon as we're able, okay? Uh Uh-huh. I'll keep you updated. Tell dad I'm coming home. Real soon. Loretta nodded. Tell me the moment you touch down. Will do. Love you. See you in a minute. Love you too. See you in a minute. Loretta took the phone away from her ear and pressed end call. See you in a minute. It was something they'd always said, even when Ada had been at the U and had no intention of coming home until after finals. Matthew said it too. Loretta could see him as he used to be, Handsome, ruddy, rushing out the door with a floppy, barely toasted English muffin between his lips. He'd say around his mouthful of peanut butter. It occurred to her now that Matthew wouldn't eat breakfast on his way to Declan, Foster, and Cook ever again. As Loretta stood, she thought of the package of whole wheat English muffins in the pantry and shuddered. Matthew peered up at her with glassy eyes stitched with scarlet veins. His chapped lips drew a drop of blood as he pulled them apart. He took in a snotty breath. Ada. Loretta focused on the teardrop of blood. It crept into the gummy white corner of Matthew's mouth. A memory threatened to come, grasping at the air in her lungs. Loretta shook it away with a nearly imperceptible turn of her head. Yes, Ada. She'll be here soon. Very soon. Matthew nodded licking at his shredded bottom lip with a pale and swollen tongue. Loretta handed him the glass of water from the bedside table. Here, drink every drop. Matthew held it weakly. She didn't wait to see if he obeyed. Loretta made a motion toward the door to make it known she'd be gone. See you in a minute. Loretta closed the bedroom door silently, taking in the fresher air of the upstairs corridor. No matter how many bowls of potpourri she surrounded Matthew with, He smelled of vapor-rub and sweet, acidic cancer. Loretta stopped at the hall table. It made her feel good to dust the brass photo frames with her fingers. When she fixed the arrangement of silk peonies, the strangling clutch on her chest lessened a bit. The doorbell sounded, echoing up the open stairwell. Panic restored the tightness. Loretta tripped frantically toward the hall mirror, surveying the damage. A strand of silk and gray hair was out of place, 
cutting across her pale cheek. She combed it back, her hand shaking as she moved a bobby pin. Coming! Loretta frowned at her disheveled appearance. There was nothing, absolutely nothing worse than unexpected visitors. She hurried down the carpeted stairs, making certain not to smudge the polished banister. Loretta? A muffled voice asked through the door. I'm here. She swung the door open, her mind a flipping catalog of every chore she needed to finish before inviting anyone in. The Greggs, Cassandra and her husband, Peter, stood in a pool of sunlight on the front porch. You are home. Cassandra grinned, revealing her matching set of deep dimples. I wasn't sure if you'd switch Matthew to Season's Hospice yet. Loretta thought about the parquet floor she was standing on and whether there were wrinkles in her linen blouse. No. No. He wants to be at home. Cassandra's smile dissolved. Of course. Peter held a cardboard box marked Gala Miscellaneous. As he should. I was going to have Ada pick all that up so you wouldn't have to bother. No bother. Cassandra patted the shoulder of Peter's golf tee. I have my Sherpa. Peter was, indeed, always following Cassandra, carrying her purse while wearing his mild, simpering smile. He stepped one foot inside and placed the clinking box on the floor. He's weak. A real milk toast. The kind who wouldn't say shit if he had a mouthful. Matthew had sniggered under his breath a million years ago. That was when Jewel had gone missing. As if Cassandra had the ability to read Loretta's mind, she screwed up her mouth in silent distaste. We know what it's like to go through a hard time, Loretta. That familiar, glossy look came to her eyes, as it so often did when she spoke of their daughter, their Jewel. She had been 16, a sporty sort of girl who wore knee-high socks with her Adidas sneakers and effortlessly tossed her long copper hair into a ponytail while she talked of soccer scholarships. She had gone to the Deerfield Mall on a Monday afternoon for an orange Julius and never came home. It had been 12 years since Jewel walked off the earth, and sometimes, it seemed to Loretta, Cassandra acted as if she might just walk right back in, as if nothing had happened. And sometimes, like today, Cassandra's eyes read a dark and tormented acceptance. What you went through outweighs any of this, I know. Loretta closed the door between them a smidge, hoping it got her point across. Cassandra gripped Peter around his skinny little arm. No. Grief is grief, Peter sniffled. Let us know how we can help, Loretta. Loretta inched the door closed. Yes, of course. Thank you for returning the tea sets. I think the garden party went well. Oh, everyone loved it, Loretta. You're the best there is. Loretta grinned. And your granddaughter, uh, Patty, is it? Oh, she's sweet, by the way, Cassandra said as she stepped off the whitewashed porch. What? Peter pointed toward the driveway, out of Loretta's line of sight. She greeted us on our way in. Little cutie. Oh, no, she's not Patty. They're on layover in Texas. Another girl, I suppose. There was barely a sliver of open door between them now. Cassandra shrugged and gave a casual giggle. (laughs) Well, she's marking up your driveway with chalk something fierce. A squirming, ugly fury channeled through Loretta's veins. She stuck both feet into her pair of garden clogs, forcing herself to stay indoors until the Greggs departed. Through the chiffon curtain of her front window, she watched as they took ages climbing up into their obnoxiously huge SUV. Chatting about her, she supposed. About how awfully tired she looked. About how her lawn wasn't trimmed as well as usual. 
and about how there was a random girl marking up the stones of her driveway. And then they finally drove away from the curb and down 18th Street. Loretta ripped open her front door and slammed down the stairs in her clogs, making a straight diagonal line toward the girl. The cascade of golden curls caught her eye first. Something about the girl's shade of hair, a distinct jeweled yellow, brought another surge of familiarity. Whoever she was, she knelt in a crushed velvet dress, unaware or uninterested that streaks of chalk ran up her white sleeves. Loretta stopped, dumbly watching as the girl made a perfect chalk square. It was a bluish-gray, the same color, Loretta noted, as the circles beneath Matthew's non-sallow eyes. Oh! The girl sat back on her heels. Good afternoon, Loretta. She grinned up, squinting at the sun. The tightness in Loretta's chest had become a strangling harness of anger. What? You can't just... What is this mess? <laughs> it's art. Don't you appreciate fine artwork? Loretta blinked at what had been her previously unmarked driveway. Where do you live, Missy? Hmm? What's your name? My name is Victoria. She stood, brushing chalk from her skirt. Her pale, slender finger pointed at the drawn door of her alleged masterpiece. I live right here, Loretta. Don't call me that! Loretta stomped a clog. I'm Mrs. Foster to you, and you had no permission to ruin my front drive with your chicken scratch! You always say that. Victoria dropped the cylinder of chalk. It rolled down the drive until it made a sharp turn and rested in the grass. Chicken scratch. (laughs) She mocked in a flat American accent. Loretta took a step toward her, hoping she could intimidate the girl with her tall frame. Victoria waggled her finger. Ah, please don't tread on my home. That would be most improper, don't you agree? Furious, Loretta glanced down at her foot on the drawing. It was a brick building, every brick drawn with precision. I don't give a rat's ass! The rest of her words fizzled on her tongue when she looked back up. There was a door, a real door, affixed to the cement of her drive. It lay flat until Victoria grabbed at the brass knob with her tiny hand and pulled it open. The rules of physics splintered away easily, allowing the hulking structure to rise from its chalky form. Disbelief and, more perplexing, Another chilling dose of deja vu paralyzed Loretta. She found herself slipping through this strange, teeter-totter world into a musty abyss. Victoria echoed around her. Don't be alarmed. A scream caught in Loretta's husk-dry throat. She wobbled on her clogs, finding the slightest comfort in the mundanity of the world around her. Instead of the sharp, grinding teeth she feared, she was falling into an old, worn-down building. The sort of place Matthew might have liked. She shook her head at the errant thought, trying desperately to navigate through her shock. This word pulsed within her. How? Follow me. The little girl was coolly efficient. Victoria headed toward a gilded, old-fashioned elevator. There's little time, I'm afraid. Loretta grabbed at her sloshing belly. Her strange trip had made the acid inside churn like fire. She blinked at her feet still flat on the floor as if she hadn't just been propelled downward. Vertigo wavered her vision. Victoria stuck her little head out of the elevator, curls bouncing. I said come along. Loretta followed. Am I... dead? She crossed the elevator's threshold. Is this death? 
The heavy door cinched shut. A groaning rattle beneath made Loretta shudder. Please, is this... Death is frightening. Victoria punched the button for floor six. She wore what looked to Loretta like an earnest frown. It's certainty. The understanding that death comes for us all. That's disheartening, don't you agree? Loretta nodded. She was afraid she might vomit down the front of her blouse if her brain didn't soon catch up with her reality. Yet I believe it is the uncertainty that is a more cruel fate. The not knowing. The elevator dinged open, revealing a warm, blinding light. Its depth called to Loretta, instantly making her feel at ease. She felt her shoulders drop as a song, so achingly familiar, played for her. Just for her. She walked into the brilliant sunshine. It caressed her cheeks. Her chest filled with the moist scents of lilacs and freesias. Is this heaven? Victoria somehow crawled into the secret curves of her mind. No, this is 1968. Do you remember? Oh! A salty tear dribbled down to Loretta's lip. She was in a valley, encircled by willow trees, and faintly she could hear the clatter of nearby I-55. It was a place she knew well. She watched as two forms materialized in the hazy sunlight. The first was herself, awkwardly bony and before her breasts had filled out. And then came him, lazily pulling her into his embrace. They danced, so slowly, to that song, Shaboom, as it played on the local station, WDEX. Matthew, the sight of him, so young he still had a red swipe of pimples across his forehead, caused Loretta to grab at her chest. She suddenly felt as if she were drowning in the fragrance of the lilac bushes, as if she couldn't take any more beauty. He's so damn handsome, she told Victoria, who was now at her side. He was. This is our first date. We'd just picnicked on Olive Rock, and now... Words failed Loretta. The song filled all her angry, scared pieces, assuring her everything was fine. More than fine. Victoria watched the young lover sway from side to side. Do you remember what you did after? Once Matthew brought you home to that rambler you grew up in? On Fox Bluff? Loretta couldn't stop watching his smooth, healthy face. I... well... You picked up the phone when you got home. That green one with the rotary dial. Victoria sighed, as though taken by that quaint beauty. It seemed that the sun was growing dimmer, and that the wind was shaking the willows a bit too much. More than Loretta could remember that it had. And you called your sister Debbie. Did I? Victoria nodded her alabaster chin. And you told her that you met the man you were going to marry. I suppose I did. Loretta smiled, despite the darkness she was sensing. It was creeping into the sky, casting ugly, moving shadows across young Matthew's face. Victoria nudged Loretta's arm. Come on, we can avoid this storm if we head this way. Loretta frowned at the roiling thundercloud forming above. There was no storm that night. Wasn't there? Victoria asked, as though she already knew the answer. I don't want to leave. Victoria shrugged. But you must. Before Loretta could steal another lingering glance at her past, Victoria was marching her along a dark gravel path. Oh! Familiar? Yes! 
Oh, this is the long driveway to our first place. That cramped house with the squeaky floorboards. God, we were poor. And do you remember what sort of telephone you had in there? A flash of light illuminated the developing night. Distracted, Loretta jogged up the drive. Matthew's Dodge pickup, long gone, had somehow been resurrected for this strange dream. It idled, sending out a steady stream of exhaust. I haven't seen that truck in 40 years. She placed a hand on its glossy door handle. Something stirred inside. Loretta jumped back, her heart pumping wildly. Jesus! Victoria appeared beside her again. It's only you. What? Inside the truck. With a shaking hand, Loretta opened the driver's side door. She herself, barely 22, lingered on the seat. There was something about her hands, waxy and not right as they clung to the steering wheel, that sent a shiver of sickening panic through her. I don't... uh, I don't remember. Your telephone. The cream one with the extra long cord. Do you remember that, Loretta? She ignored the little girl, staring instead at the silver chain wrapped around her younger self's thumb. The necklace's charm, a turtle with an amber and blue shell, swung like a pendulum. A secret place where disorder ruled ate away at Loretta. It chomped within, savoring her sanity with its razor-sharp teeth. Close your eyes. Loretta obeyed if only to unsee the turtle. Now they were in their first house, the one with the homemade curtains and those pesky floorboards. A newswoman blatted on about Watergate on their boxy, too small television. Matthew sat on the end of the worn orange sofa, studying some heavy law book. A pencil with chew marks jutted from between his lips. Where am I? Here. No, I... Younger me. You're just you now. Victoria gave her a reassuring pat on the head, as if this made any sense. In other news... The newswoman's voice cut through the stuffy room. Jessica Peabody of Yarrow has now been missing for three days, prompting the college students' worried parents to seek the public's help. Peabody, aged 19, was last seen on East Campus Drive, walking back to her dormitory after an evening class. Loretta stared at the retro newscast, horrified by the smiling image of Jessica Peabody. Why am I here? Silent, Victoria watched the TV with avid interest. I see it, okay? I see it. Do you? I see she's wearing the turtle. The necklace I found in Matthew's trunk. I remember that night. The Matthew of long ago ignored Loretta, yet his interest had changed from the book in his lap to the image of the missing girl. He stared at the picture of Jessica with placid eyes. A strange, sad smile turned the corners of Victoria's lips. And do you remember what you did? Loretta spied the cream phone on the wall. It was beside the cluttered calendar full of Matthew's notes and appointments. God, yes, she remembered. The evil, chomping thing inside invaded the borders of her heart. I waited until he was asleep. And I picked up that phone... That exact one, seeing it there, almost alive in a dreadful way, made the words come easier. She had never said them aloud before, or even in her thoughts. She had let the eater inside, the teeth, gnaw on them instead. I dialed the police. Yes, and then what? I hung it up. How many times, Loretta? The teeth skittered, echoing inside her. Five? 
maybe six times. By morning, I'd convinced myself I was crazy. Seemingly satisfied, Victoria pulled her away from the hypnotizing phone. And that phone on Western Drive? The cordless one with a thick antenna? What made you set that one down? Somehow, someway, Victoria was holding that phone. The one Loretta had got at Sears on special. It even had the purple swipe on number five, where toddler Ada had given it a makeover. Loretta was concentrating on that bizarre accent of color, so it took her a moment to realize they were no longer in her first house. They were in a long, dark corridor that had the undeniable feel of a cellar. Or a dungeon. A tear surprised her, zigzagging down her flushed cheek. It's cold in here. Victoria, still holding the phone, led the way into a windowless basement room. A single light bulb hung from a frayed rope, which was affixed to a crude mud ceiling. Very cold, she agreed. Although, Loretta noticed, her ivory skin didn't prickle or color. This is more than they had. Victoria handed Loretta her own home phone, which had broken more than two decades ago and was undoubtedly in a landfill. Loretta opened her mouth, but before she could think of what to ask, the little blonde girl who seemed to know it all disappeared. And the door they had come through a steel one with an intricate maze of chains and padlocks, had somehow closed. Knowing, Loretta dropped the phone and grabbed at the cold handle of the door. It didn't budge. The thing inside her, that toothy monstrosity that had calcified after years of accepting horrors she couldn't withstand, whispered the truth to her. She saw it in the broken violet fingernails stuck into the mud wall, and the note written in dark, long-ago blood in the far corner of this hole that could never be a room. My name is Jessica P. 10-13-70. Please, God, help me. And another name. This one scratched beneath with something dull, all in jagged capital letters. Jewel Gregg, 2007. Loretta stumbled back, hitting the light bulb with her head. Dizzying light arced across the room, revealing the full extent of what she knew. She knew. She had known all along. Dozens of names and dates and hopeless prayers. They all whispered to her, their voices seeping in through the walls. I'm Tanya. Please. My name is Emily, and I have to get home. Shen Li Chan, May of 1993. Flora Ann. 15th, 4th, 86. Their voices coalesced and grew into a wave of horror. Please, God. If anyone sees this, please. Kidnapped, please. Someone. It's been five days. Help me. Help. Loretta screamed. She screamed until her throat collapsed in on itself and she fell to her knees in the cold, clumped dirt where those girls had died. She knew they had died right there. Just as she'd known it was Jules' Adidas sneakers in her garage and that it was blood on Matthew's collar. And that there were nights, so many nights, when she was alone, under the covers, and he was gone. Gone. See you in a minute. He called from deep inside that ugly, hungry thing that ate her nightmares. The door creaked open. Loretta crawled into the hungry mouth of the corridor. The walls were crisscrossed with wires. Shaboom trickled in as Loretta looked around, 
taking in the busy blinking lights of an old telephone operator's booth. Victoria sat on a single rolling stool, snakes of telephone cords draped on the lap of her dress. She smiled down. Loretta, you found me. On all fours, Loretta sniffled. (laughs) Help me. Where's your telephone? Loretta would never go back to that hole with the names, with the screams and the whispers. I've lost it, but please, I have to get out of here. That's all right. Victoria smiled. There are 38 phones in here. Do you see? Loretta did see. There were old-fashioned wind-up ones, ones with spiral cords, and even an iPhone, all attached to the complicated maze of wires. There was even a playphone with a Fisher-Price sticker on its earpiece. 38 is a significant number, you see. There are 38 families waiting for a call. The joy slipped from Victoria's face. Some of them have waited a very, very long time. Loretta gripped the cold ground. I can't! And I will give you 38 chances. All you have to do is choose one. Panic rocked Loretta backward. She placed her forehead on the uneven floor, begging for a way out. This time you need to dial, Loretta. This time you need to wait for an answer. I won't! He's my husband! And everyone... Everyone will know! They'll know! Victoria hopped off her operator's stool. The cord slipped off her and pooled at her feet. Dial, Loretta. You only have a few chances left. This is 36. No! No! Loretta shrieked, suddenly aware that she was falling. She flailed, fighting the pitch-black air, sensing the razor-sharp teeth as she plummeted down. Her entire body screamed with pain and rage, and she could feel it. The monster. It. The truth that tethered Matthew and her together, cutting into her skin, making it so she couldn't breathe. And then came the sound of her iPhone ringing. Loretta awoke, the edges of her nightmare sharp and jagged. Ada was calling. She leaned forward to answer the call, catching sight of her dying husband in the bed. It's a shame, she thought, for the world to lose someone so perfect. She held the cold brick to her ear. 